sermon corresponded with uh, the uh, the children. Tonight, the, the evening service, in a lot of ways, will not correspond. I guess indirectly you could make some parallels, uh, but uh, the sermon tonight is part of a series we've been covering um, on uh, Sunday evenings, and the title of the series is Learning to Love Reproof. Learning to Love Reproof. Now, now Paul told Timothy, we looked at it this morning, but Paul told his preacher boy, Timothy, who was training to be a pastor, that his job was to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Um, that word reproof means to correct or criticize gently. Correct or criticize gently. That word rebuke means to correct or criticize harshly. Okay, in a firm way, firmly. Um, and so uh, the Bible has commanded pastors that they're to preach the whole counsel of God, not just tickle your ears. And uh, Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about how that we need to learn to love reproof. Um, it is not natural to have someone step on our toes and tell us that we're wrong about something. In fact, we generally push back. We argue, we make excuses, we point the finger, we blame someone else. But the, the Bible says that the way of life is reproof. It is reproof. It's not just how, to, how it gets you on the path of life. Reproof is the path of life. So if you can learn how to handle correction, and you can learn how to look in the mirror and not make excuses and own up to your mistakes and work to be a better man uh, or better uh, a woman, then uh, you are going to set yourself up to do do really, really, really well in life. So in this series of learning to love reproof, we've talked about uh, the sin of uh, the, the sin of, of self-reliance, relying on yourself. Last week we looked at laziness. This week we're going to look at yet another topic. First Corinthians 16. Let's stand tonight. First Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. I'll begin the reading there. It says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, or be courageous like men, be strong, let all, uh, let all your things be done with charity. The title of the message tonight is this, will the real men please stand up? Will the real men please stand up? Let's pray. I ask tonight, God, that you'd give me your wisdom and uh, your prudence, and as I preach a sermon that to the culture, will seem and be very controversial. Lord, I pray that I would do your word justice. And God, tonight, would you help all of us to know what our roles are, what you've called us to be and do, and help us, Lord, tonight to embrace this, and God, to be challenged by it. And Lord, uh, where society has gotten the better of us as either men or women, May we look at your word tonight and decide to hit the reset button and go back and live and do exactly what your word says. Help us, Lord, tonight to have a tender heart toward correction, a tender heart toward bettering ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Most likely tonight I'm going to say some things that are very, very controversial. I would ask that you listen intently throughout the introduction so that you understand what is being said. I would ask that if you are uncertain about something that I say, that you go online and you listen to it a second time, 
for clarification purpose and that you not run out of here with one line and that you twist it or turn it or take it out of context whether you intend to or tonight, uh, whether, whether or not you intend to. Tonight, the message is aimed primarily at the men. However, ladies, there will be plenty for you to take out of the sermon as well. Let's begin by looking at the two genders back in the Garden of Eden. This will be the basis for the rest of the message. You can go ahead and turn back to Genesis 3. We'll get there in just a moment. But while you're turning there, please listen to what I'm saying here. God created Adam and Eve for the purpose of completing each other. We believe at White Oak Baptist Church and gender, uh, that genders complement each other, or a complementary view of the genders. That men complement women, and women complement men. That they're not the same, that they're different. That they're different. Now, the world wants to tell you that men are women, and women are men, and they want to try to push us to the middle, and then push us past the middle. And that's, that's the effort. That's what's going on today. Uh, but God created Adam and Eve distinct. He created them different. And He created them with uh, strengths and weaknesses for the purpose of completing the other one. Alright? If you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write this down. Adam was made to be logical first and emotional second. Adam was made to be logical first and emotional second. So Adam's strength was his logic. His weakness was his emotional state. God made Eve to be emotional first and logical second. Emotional first and logical second. So Eve's strength was her emotions and Eve's weakness of the two would be her logic. Now, as a whole... This is still true today about men and women. Men, generally speaking, are more logical than women. And women, generally speaking, are uh, much more in tune and in touch with emotions. I I see it uh, for women as some sort of superpower. Uh, when, uh, when I first got married to my wife, I did not understand what I'm explaining to you now. And I can remember early on in the first church we worked at, my wife looked at a woman after spending five to ten minutes around her and said, stay away from her, she's bad news. And I said, based on what? And she said, I don't know, but I just sent something about her, and she's not good for us. Stay away. And I looked at her and I said the stupidest thing I could have said. I said, you are just jealous. I made that mistake once. Come to find out, my wife was right. Now, I don't know a man on the planet that could spend five minutes around anyone And pick up on the subtleties that my wife picked up on. We call that female intuition. It is a powerful thing. It is a superpower that men, 99% of men, do not possess. Now, sin does contaminate and change. 
Sin contaminates and changes. And we live 6,000 to 7,000 years away from the first man and woman that were made. And sin has had a long time to throw things off and pervert and change things. So there are men who are more emotional than logical. And there are women walking the planet today who are more logical than emotional. There are some men who have a greater emotional sense than the average woman. And there are some women women who have a greater logical sense than the average man. Now, while cases can be found, this is the exception to the rule and it is not the rule. This is not in line, this idea of having things reversed or changed, this is not in line with God's original intent for our psychological being. Let me prove this with Scripture. We'll get to Genesis 3 in a minute. Let me read some verses for you here today. And those who look at the Bible as being a misogynistic book, I'm going to read every single verse they point to tonight. So buckle your seatbelt and we're going to look at these. And I got to tell you, the Bible is not anti-woman. It's not a sexist book or slanted toward men. Uh, uh, And when you understand in context what these verses mean, boy, all of that fades away. And women are empowered to be what God made them to be, not diminished and squashed and turned into nothing. First Timothy chapter two, verse 14 says this. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Uh, women, uh, uh, the, the woman, Eve in the garden, she was tricked into eating that fruit. Adam was not tricked into eating the fruit. Adam full well knew when he sunk his teeth into that fruit, Adam full well knew what he was doing. He was not deceived, but Eve was deceived. Satan played on Eve's weakness to get her to eat the fruit. Well, what was that weakness? Satan's, again, Satan, or, uh, Eve's weakness was her logic. uh, Satan waited until Adam was not right by Eve's side. And he slithered up to her. And first, he asked Eve what God had said. And then he changed what God had said. And then he played on her emotional strengths and her lack of logic. And before you knew it, Eve had that good-looking piece of fruit in her hand. And she had her teeth in the fruit. Why? Because Eve knew that, uh, or rather, uh, Satan knew that Eve's weakness was her logic, so he logicked with her and got her to eat it. Then what happened is that Satan played on Adam's weakness, his emotions. Eve comes over, all pretty Eve, his wife comes over with that fruit, had taken a bite out of it, maybe had a second piece there, and shows Adam that she had eaten it. And Adam looks at the fruit, and he's, his heart longs for his wife. And he says, I can't stand the thought of having my precious wife punished by herself, so I'm going to take this fruit, and I'm going to sink my teeth into it, so that she will not be punished by herself. Adam's weakness was his emotions, and Satan played on Adam's weakness. So you might ask this evening, which is better, logic or emotion? Logic or emotion? The strength of the man or the strength of the woman, Pastor? Which one is better? Which one is more important? And I would tell you that both are needed to get through life. Both are equally important. Women are not less than men with what God has given them, and men are not less than women than what God has given them. The man needs the woman, and the woman needs the man. It takes a team, a complementary team, the woman coming alongside and being the helpmeet, the man allowing the woman to come alongside, and they walk through life 
together. The man leading the way and the wife with the emotional uh, navigational system to help guide uh, the way and, and give her input. Now, uh, uh, logic sets the right course, but emotion helps everyone to enjoy the journey. Logic leads the way, but emotion helps take into consideration the needs and desires of others during the journey. Logic leads a family to live with solid principles, but emotion raises and nurtures the children so that they will respect the path that is set and know uh, when to take a break along the way or, or, or slow the pace or speed the pace up, depending on how weary the travelers are. Logic leads... But emotion allows others to easily follow. Both are needed. Both are important. Now, after Adam and Eve uh, uh, brought the sin curse on man, God told Eve that she was to follow her husband and the precedent was set for the man to lead the woman. Look at Genesis 3, verse 16. Let the Bible do the speaking tonight. It says there, unto the woman, he said... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. He shall rule over thee. Like it or not, ladies, the Bible is a book that dictates male leadership. Male leadership. Those aren't my words. Those were God's words to the first woman as he was punishing her for falling to Satan's trap. The man shall rule over thee. Now, um, with this concept of the, of the man as the leader, I want to point out some things to you about male leadership from a biblical standpoint. The twelve tribes of Israel are named after the sons of Jacob, not the daughters of Jacob. The twelve apostles that helped write the New Testament are all men. Every human that helped write the Bible was a man. All of the prophets in the Old Testament of, 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 of great importance were men. Jesus was not born as a woman. Jesus was born as a man. Does this mean that women are diminished to being slaves and subpar humans? No. Obviously not. In a moment, I will point out some women who held leadership roles in the Bible. But, please keep in mind that God called the man to lead the woman and the woman to follow the man. You may not like it, but I would say that you need to study the Bible and talk with God and work out that grudge you have, not with me, but with him. Now, without established, let's look back at the church of Corinth, where we began tonight in 1 Corinthians. This church had some serious issues. Paul wrote his toughest, most condemning letter to the church of Corinth. You say, well, pastor, what were the problems in the church of Corinth? They were divided over, over preacher personalities. They were involved in all sorts of sensual and sexual sins. They were abusing their own Christian liberties and causing weaker Christians to stumble all over the place. They lacked structure to their church services and they even allowed emotional state and emotional experiences to dictate church services. And they began to question the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
part of the reason why this church struggled in so many areas was because they were being run by women. You say, well, pastor, can you prove that? I sure can. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. God makes it clear that when logical decisions are made by emotional people, that the train quickly gets off the tracks. Let me say that again. God makes it clear that when logical decisions are made by emotion-driven people, the train quickly gets off the tracks. And that's exactly what had happened in Corinth. People would t- Paul would take a couple of passages and address gender roles in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 11, verse number 7. Look here. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head or to grow his hair out long, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So the man is the glory of God, the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, verse 8, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Really simple. You go back to Genesis. God created Adam. He was naming all the animals. And here came, here came uh, male elephant and female elephant companions. And male giraffe and female giraffe. They walked by, he named them. Here came uh, a male monkey and a female monkey, and he named them. Here came a male snail and a female snail. That was hard to say. And he named them. And then Adam, when he got through naming all the animals, looked around and said, they all have a companion, but I'm lonely. God, for the first time ever in Scripture, looked down and he said that something wasn't good. He said, it is, it is not good that man should be alone. So he put Adam down, he put him to sleep, and he performed the first surgery ever in the history of mankind. And he opened up Adam's side and he took out a rib, and from that rib he formed the first woman. And then Adam woke up and he he rubbed his eyes and he looked at Eve and he said, whoa, man, she's beautiful. And that's how we get the name woman. That part's not true. Okay, but the rest of it is. And here Paul is telling the church, look, God made man for himself and then he made woman from man. Woman was made to be the glory of man and man was made to be the glory of God. You say, Pastor, that is so sexist in today's worldview. And I'd say, tough. God made the world. He gets to dictate what is and isn't. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34. Oh boy, the churches with women preachers really don't like this passage. I guess they just cut these verses out of their Bible. Look at verse 34. Let your woman, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Paul would continue this thought in his letter to Timothy, Pastor Timothy. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, and I'm going to give some explanation in these passages. It says here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And every feminist in the country just screeched because they can't stand that word subjection. Verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Pastor. Do those verses mean 
that women must shut their mouth when they walk in the door and not say another word till they leave? No, that's not what they mean. That's not what they mean. God knows that's not possible. I had to get that out there. You say, well, what do those verses mean? This means they are to do the learning, not the teaching, while at church. It also means that if something is not clear to them, then they are to ask their husbands at home in private. Now, I've got some of you looking at me like I've got four heads. And again, I'm just reading the Bible. You can't love John 3.16 and then choose to neglect this. This is in the Bible. And just because society has gotten all wonky on us, doesn't mean that the Bible still isn't the path that leads us right. And we take the Bible literally here. You say, well, pastor, why do you even have to read those verses? You know how controversial they are. I don't read them because I enjoy controversy. I read them because it is my duty to preach the whole counsel of God, every, every corner of it. Even the parts that, that fly in the face of society. Now, if you are not married, then you say, well, what do I do if I've got a question about doctrine or I've got a question about something that was said and I'm not married or my husband doesn't go to church or my husband just doesn't know? What am I supposed to do? Then the appropriate action is to find a church leader, a pastor, a deacon, a strong uh, a man uh, uh, that maybe is a Sunday school teacher or just established here at church and, and to go. Go ask them in private a question of something you don't understand. But it is never appropriate to challenge the man who is teaching or preaching the Bible openly. Never appropriate. Peter was used by God as well to speak of this same pattern of fellowship and submission uh, continuing on at home. First Peter 3, 5 says this, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. You see, this model of the ladies coming to church and not openly challenging the pastor and challenging the Sunday school teacher and saying, Yeah, well, what about that? And having that spirit about them and, and maybe instead asking their husbands in private, that whole mentality, that carries over at home where the wife is supposed to be in subjection. That means she follows her husband's leadership at home. Women, that doesn't mean you can't have ideas. And that doesn't mean you can't offer input. And that doesn't mean that sometimes you're not right. Because the Lord sure knows in the 11 years I've been married, there have been all kinds of times where Angela has come by my side and said, I just don't think you're quite seeing this right. Let me offer you this perspective. And once I humbled my heart and I took the time to listen to her, I had to say, you know what? She's right on that. She's right on that. But the mentality, the attitude, the, the, the way that it's approached, the way it's handled is so vital and important to the Bible. Now, uh, those of you sitting in the auditorium who are skeptics of what I'm saying and know your Bible, you might be uh, saying uh, this. Why then does God speak of some women that are, uh, are, are leaders in the Bible? And why does he speak of them as a good thing? And I can almost uh, feel the question, what about Deborah. What about Deborah, Pastor? Go back to the book of Judges. Deborah led the men. Yeah, I can be a pastor if I want. And I'd say, 
Yeah, Deborah was a leader in the Bible. But if you go back and read the story, Barak was supposed to be the leader, but he was not standing strong in the faith. He was treating Deborah like his mommy. I'll go to war if you'll go with me. And God said, okay, through Deborah, okay. If that's the mentality you're going to have, then you're going to see, you're going to get showed up on the battlefield and the glory and honor is going to be given to a woman and not you because you're being a wimp. It was never God's plan to have Deborah lead. Deborah had to lead because there wasn't a man to do it. Let me give you another one. This is one most people don't even know about. How about Hulda? Hulda. How many of you know who Hulda is? See, I know this topic so well, the critics don't even know all my... i got a young lady over here that knows. If you go back over to 2 Kings 22, what you find is that um, uh, King Josiah, we talked about him a little bit this morning, King Josiah would take over the country as an eight-year-old boy. At age 16, he would demand that they begin to clean up and repair the temple of God. Well, as they were uh, cleaning out the temple, they found these old scrolls. And they said, what in the world are these? Well, it was the Bible. They didn't even know what it was. And and so they blow the dust off and they bring it to Josiah and they start reading the scrolls. And they have no idea what this means. They didn't know about their heritage. Their history had been revised or changed. And so he says, who do we know that uh, uh, that still holds to this faith that we can get some answers to? Well, uh, 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 let's see. Josiah had a man who helped tailor his clothes and dress him. And that man was married to a prophetess named Hulda. Hulda. And Hulda was a believer in Jehovah God. And so they took the scrolls to Hulda, and Hulda was able to tell them exactly what it meant and able to give them a prophecy about the impending judgment and doom that God was going to rain down on Israel because of all of the idolatry and sin. And by the way, Hulda's prophecy came true. It came true. You say, well, why did God use Hulda? Because there wasn't a man who would remain faithful to him. And when men do not do what they're supposed to do, then women are allowed to step up in the absence of a man and lead. I think about some homes where the man is too busy living the party life prior to marriage and disappears off the scene, and the mom is left to raise two or three children on her, on her own, and now she has to be the man and the woman to that little boy. Oh, I feel so awful for those ladies. There are times where the woman's left no choice but to be a leader. You say, well, see there, Pastor, there are some examples of women leading. And I would say the answer to fixing society, the answer for the future of, 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 of homes, and even the answer of most families, the answer for the future of this church is not found in letting the women lead more. It is rather found in men standing up and doing what God created them to do. We gotta get back to a time where men start acting like men and quit letting themselves get pushed around by society and pushed around by pleasure and pushed around by some strong women. They stand up and say, I'm gonna be a man of principle. I'm gonna leave my home. I'm gonna do what's right. I'm gonna love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart and I'm gonna teach others around me to do the very same thing. And this evening I say to the men of White Oak Baptist Church, it is time to stand up and do what God created you to do. Be. I propose that we live in a time where men have become 
emasculated. They will compromise their principles in order to appease their wife and children. They allow the emotion of the woman around them to dictate their schedule, dictate their life direction, dictate their church involvement, dictate their financial decisions, dictate the method for which uh, the children are raised, while men ought to allow the woman in their lives, the women in their lives, to counsel them and complete them uh, 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 where they are lacking, and while men ought to allow their their female counterparts to come along and complete them, they should not allow the women in their life to lead them and dictate to them. To the women this evening, I would say this, stop running over your men. Stop pushing them out of the way. Stop ignoring them and stop uh, treating them like garbage. To the men this evening, it's time that you stand up and do what God has created you to do. This is a message that is labeled as misogynistic, but my friend, the world is going to hell following this philosophy. And it's time we get back to the basics of gender roles. It's time we get back to male leadership guided by the emotional intuition of their wives and lady counselors. Now, Paul addressed the women in 1 Corinthians and reminded them of their role. Paul addressed the men as well and reminded them of their role. Tonight, I want to ask you men to be godly men. I want to ask you to give our women someone to follow. A woman can't follow a man who isn't leading her. A woman can't follow a man who's absentee. A woman can't follow a man who stays home from work because he's got a little little ache and a pain and, and, and he just uh, bends and folds to the pleasures of life. A woman needs a man to stand up and say, uh, grow some hair on that leg and say, I'm going to lead and I need you to follow me. And if you're not going to follow me, I'm going to lead myself and become such a strong leader, you have no choice but to want to follow me. Let's look at uh, three biblical principles tonight of biblical manhood and consider this question. Will the real men of White Oak Baptist Church and the greater community please stand up and lead? Number one, number one, men who lead, men who lead. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18 with me. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18. We have a leadership issue in this country that is grave. It is grave. We elect politicians who have no idea what they're doing on the, on the, on the local level, on the national level. And the reason is, is because we don't know what leaders are supposed to look like because we're not leaders ourselves. And if our country would have better leaders at home in the home unit, then boy, we would know how to identify someone who's an imposter and instead elect someone who actually knows how to lead. It's easy to throw stones at Washington. It's easy to throw stones at the State House. It's easy to throw stones at the mayor's uh, town hall. But what we need to do is look in the mirror and say, am I a leader? Do I know how to lead? Because if I don't know how to lead, I'm not going to know how to identify a good leader. The answer to fixing leadership is to first fix it in the homes. Look at Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law... Happy is he. Letter A notice, leading is about conceptualizing. Leading is about conceptualizing or coming up with a vision and articulating that vision. In which areas are you a leader? Men, can I encourage you to get a pen and a piece of paper right now and write down the areas that you are a leader? If you're a husband, then uh, write down that role as a husband. 
If you are a owner of a business or a manager at work, write that down. Anytime, uh, in any role that you have people answer you, please, I'm serious about this. Take out a pen and a piece of paper and write down the areas where you're a leader. We're going to come back and use that in a little bit. If you're a teenage boy here and you don't have any leadership roles yet, can I encourage you to do this? Write down the roles that you would like to be a leader one day. Maybe you want to own your own business. Maybe you want to be a supervisor at work. Maybe you want to be a CEO of a company. Maybe you want to be a Sunday school teacher at church. Maybe you want to be a bus captain in our bus ministry. Uh, uh, maybe you want to be married or you want to be a father. Men, write down the roles where you either are a leader or where you desire to be a leader. leader leading is about conceptualizing. Do you have a vision for uh, where you want to take those uh, uh, who are your followers? If so, have you voiced that? I, uh, it ought to be that you ought to be able to go to my wife and say, where is your husband trying to take you as your leader? And she ought to be able to articulate that. And it ought not be like, huh, I, I, I don't know. You ought to be able to go to my children and say, where is your dad trying to lead your home? And they ought to be able to tell you what it is that dad and mom are trying to, where they're trying to lead them. Uh, if you have a business, have you laid out the mission statement for your employees or for those in your department? So uh, leading, leading is about conceptualizing. I'm going to give you B, C, and D uh, quickly, and then we're going to talk about how these work together. B, leading is about character. Leading is about character. Leading is about charisma. And leading is about coordinating. Let me give you those again. Leading is about character. Leading is about charisma. Charisma. Leading is about coordinating. Coordinating. Now, character, you can put in parentheses integrity. Integrity. Leading is about integrity. Uh, leading is about charisma. You can put in parentheses people skills. And leading is about coordinating. You write down organization. Leading is about all three of these things. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own glory, but a faithful man, an integritous man, a faithful man, who can find? Who can find a faithful man? Someone who's just there. They're where they're supposed to be. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You can count on them. Character. All right? By the way, you can fake character for a while, but you can't fake it forever. Either you have character or you don't. And if you don't have character, you can't lead. Because people will find you out. I'm thinking of a pastor of a large church who uh, who uh, had a gigantic personality. He had wonderful organizational skills, but he got caught fooling around with a teenage girl. You know where he's at today? He's in jail. You know who he's leading? Nobody. Nobody. You can have two of the three, but you got to have all three of them to lead. By the way, you can have character, and you can have charisma, people skills... But if you're not organized, eventually people are going to get frustrated and they're going to quit, quit following you. You can go home tonight and say, man, I, I'm an integrous man. I've done what's right. I'm leading the way in that way. And, and I've got a vision. I, 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 can, I, I have charisma. Okay, uh, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some family time together next week. And the next week comes around and like, well, what are we going to do? Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't think about that. Well, you can't lead then. You can't lead. you got to have all three. So I would ask you tonight, where are you struggling? Where are you struggling? Uh, character, charisma, people skills, coordinating. Uh, by the way, you can have all of the organizational abilities in the world, and you can have all of the character in the world, but if you talk like this all the time and no one wants to talk to you, 
then you can't lead anybody. You got to know how to interact with people. You got to know how to carry a conversation. You got to know how to get people excited about the, con- the, 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 the conceptualizing that you've done and the vision that you have. Letter E. Letter E. Leading is about convincing. It's about convincing. I've heard a lot of people say, Pastor, I can't lead her or I can't lead him if they won't follow me. How many of you ever felt that way? Do you know that, lead, that, that leadership is 99% on the leader and 1% on the follower? Now, the follower does get 1%. You know, Jesus could not lead Judas. Jesus was the perfect leader. All the character in the world, all the people's skills in the world, very organized. Judas never followed. So Judas had his 1% to do, and he refused to do it. But 99% of it landed on Jesus, 1% landed on Judas. And if that 1% won't follow, then there's just not a whole lot you can do. You know what we're really good at doing, men? Can all the men look up here at me? We're really good at making excuses. Really good at that. Well, I can't lead my wife to the next level spiritually because she's strong-willed. You know, God's called you to live a life in such a way that convinces her to follow you. Follows you. We're really good at making excuses. But God has partially called you as a leader to get people on board. Let me give you a good definition of leadership. You can write this down here. Leadership is a getting other people to do. I'm going to say this multiple times. Leadership is getting other people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Let me say that again. Leadership is getting other people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Leadership is getting other people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Anybody need me to repeat that one more time? It's writing it down. A little confusing there. Uh, All right. The idea here is that you have so sold them on your vision. Man, they have bought into it. It is theirs. They are all in. We need men today who lead. Who lead. Listen, I know some of you here today, you're married to a woman uh, who is strong-willed, and no matter how hard you try to lead, she won't follow. And you you tell her what to do, and she won't uh, get on board, and you, you, you try all these different methods, and it just doesn't work. You say, Pastor, i got to just throw up my hands. My wife or uh, my daughter or the people in my life won't follow. What am I to do? And here is the best advice I can give you. Learn how to lead yourself. Because until you get good at leading yourself, they're not going to follow you. You say, well, I am leading myself. Then do it better. Boy, you've got to fly so high above the fray that the people around you go, I want where he is. And I'm going to get on board and go where he's going. And he is so trustworthy and he's done it for so long. I'm buying in all the way and I, I'm going to follow. It's really easy for a pastor to look at a church and say, well, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this and I just can't get people on board. I just can't get them to go where I want to go. The church isn't growing and and, and make excuse after excuse. But the truth is the pastor's got to go back to the drawing board and say, how do I get better as a leader? You can look at your home and say, I can't get my family on board. I can't get my employees on board. I can't get my children on board. And I would say this, get better at leading yourself. Sir, do you know how to get out of bed in the morning when the alarm clock goes off? Do you know how to set a time to go to bed and go to bed? Do you know how to say no to a food impulse when it creeps up on you? Do you know how to not be uh, uh, someone who lets the flesh dictate to you what to do instead of you dictating to the flesh? 
I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have all that figured out. Not on every level. I've got a lot of growing in those areas to do. But I'm willing to say that my wife is not going to reach her potential until I learn how to lead myself so I can more properly lead her. Are you willing to own it as well in your situation? Number one, uh, uh, men who lead. Let's look at number two here. Men who love. Men who love. Go back to 1 Corinthians 16. Look at verse number 13 with me. It says there, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, or be courageous like men, be strong. Paul tells the men of the church, start acting like men. We have a society filled with men who have been pushed to act like women. I talked about how men have become very emasculated, or they've given up, and they're willing to pander and cave and give in just to appease and just to please and and just to string along uh, to not allow problems. Look, guys, let me just say here, there will have to be times where you're willing to to battle World War III in your home so that you don't back down off your principles. If your wife says to you, I'm going to be mad at you if you go to church, you have to look at her and say, then you're going to have to be mad at me. Because I'm going to church. And you get home and you have to sleep on the couch. Well, sleep on the couch. Sleep on the couch. Now, don't say like that. Just look at her and smile and say, honey, I'm going to church. And, uh, and I'm sorry, but the Bible's commanded that that's what we do. Men who look at a boss who says, I need you to work on Sunday and say, look, the agreement when you hired me was I don't work Sundays. Sunday is the Lord's day. I'm going to church. And if that means I'm going to have to be missed or passed on the next promotion or advancement, the Lord will have to take care of me because I'm a man and I stand on my principles. Look here at verse 13. We find that several manly characteristics are listed. The first one is watch or be perceptive. The second one is stand fast or get a backbone about yourself. The third one is quit you or be brave, be courageous. The fourth one is be strong, not easily defeated. Now, after listing these manly characteristics, Paul then seems to do a 180 degree turn on the ideology train. Look at verse 14. After talking about all these manly Spartan type things, these soldier type things, verse 14, let all your things be done with charity. What? You just told me to be a man and now you're going to tell me to go love? Notice letter A, biblical love is a manly characteristic. It's a manly characteristic. You know, when I hear the word love, there are a few things that quickly come to my mind. And uh, I'm ashamed to say this, but one of the first things that come to my brain is the Hallmark Channel. At Christmas time, I hate the Hallmark Channel. You say, Pastor, how much do you hate the Hallmark Channel? We have two TVs in our house. So Angela can watch her Hallmark movies, and I can go watch sports. Amen? And, um, and I tell her, I walk in, I say, what are you watching that for? I can tell you the, the plot five minutes in because they all have the same plot. You know, that dude she's with at the beginning of the movie, she ain't going to be with him at the end of the movie. And the other guy that works at the store, she's going to be with him and that dude's going to be heartbroken. I can already tell you right now what the plot's going to be. Uh, but when I think of love, I uh, quickly think of the Hallmark Channel. I also think of this soft, ooey, gooey stuff 
But you know what, guys? Love is a manly trait. Over and over again, God has told men that they are to love. By the way, loving and leading are hand and glove. You want to lead your wife? You better learn how to love her. You better learn how to serve her. You better learn how to be a servant-loving leader because that is the grace that brings about the desire to be followed. One of the toughest men in the Bible was David. In fact, David wanted to build the temple, you remember? And he couldn't do it because the Bible said he was a bloody man. You know what the Bible says about David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. He passionately and fervently loved God. Nowhere, and I want you to catch this, okay? This might come as a shock to some of you. But did you know that nowhere in the Bible does God command the wife to love the husband? Not once. You can't find it. But over and over and over again, God commands the husband to love his wife. Now, uh, uh, obviously, God is not going to ask the man to do something that he does not equip him and build him to do. Who else has God called us to love? He's called us to love God. He's called us to love our neighbor. He's called us to love our wives. And He's even called us to love our enemies. If He did not build within us a natural ability to love, He would not have asked us to do it. Your wife is not your enemy. Get that out there right now, okay? Letter B. Biblical love is charity. Is charity. 1 Corinthians 13 describes charity in great depth. Let me just read off the list of what 1 Corinthians 13 says charity is. And I have used some words that are more modern. I'm not changing the Bible, but just for the sake of the message here, bear with me. Charity suffers long. Charity is kind. Charity is not jealous of others. Charity does not brag on one's self or one's accomplishments. Charity never behaves selfishly. Charity is not easily provoked. Charity gives others the benefit of the doubt. Charity rejoices not in iniquity. It only does so in the truth. Charity helps others bear their burdens. Charity believes in the best of people. Charity hopes for the best of others. Charity endures when others abuse it. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, charity toward others uh, uh, when given enough time and shown in its purest form never, ever, ever fails. Biblical love is charity. Letter C, biblical love is categorized, is categorized. And men, here's what I'd say to you. You've got to learn how to categorize your love. Can I tell you what we're guilty of, guys? We're guilty of loving ourselves first. You know why most men cave to their wives on things? Because they just want short-term peace. They just love themselves. They'd rather not have the battle on their hands. They just give in and they cave. They compromise because they don't want the battle. It's not just with women, it's with the boss, it's with the employees, it's with the children, it's with the children, it's with the children, it's with the children, we give them their way, so that we don't have to have that little battle on our hands. Look, men have their love categorized, and they live by these principles. First, we must love our Lord. Luke 14, 26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and also his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So your love for God ought to be so fierce that it makes everybody else in your life look like you hate them. Uh, next, married men must love their wives. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Fathers must love their children. Ephesians 6.4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurse 
nurture and admonition of the Lord. So you love the Lord first. You love, uh, uh, by the way, you're to love your neighbor. You're to love your wives. You're to love your children. And you do this in the proper order. You categorize this and you make sure that God gets the most of your love and that your wife gets the second most of your love. Your children get love from you and that you love your neighbor as yourself. Number three, men who are loyal. We've looked at men who lead Men who love. I cut number three out, actually, which was men who learn. But we deleted that one because of the length of the message here. Men who are loyal. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye. Look here. Stand fast in the faith. Stand fast. Stand fast. Stand fast. Now, uh, all my life I've heard loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Can I tell you what most of the loyalty sermons I've heard are about? Be loyal to the pastor. I'm not going to tell you that tonight. I'm not going to tell you that. Because you know why? I'm a sinful man. I'm flawed. There are some people who are loyal to someone to a place where they overlook disqualifying sin because they are loyal too far. I'm not here tonight to tell you to be loyal to me. I hope you love me. And you do. I feel very loved by White Oak Baptist Church. But I don't ask you to be loyal to me. I ask you to be loyal, letter A, loyal to Christ. Loyal to Christ. Look there. Stand fast where? Stand fast with the pastor? No. Stand fast in the faith. In the faith. Teenagers, let me talk to you for a minute. Especially those of you that gave a testimony. Can I talk to you? Will you please look up here at me? Over and over and over again, what I heard was... Brother Scarpetti, the church. I didn't hear Pastor Michael, though. We probably should have. (laughs) They are awesome. They have changed my life. Let Let me just warn you here. Please, please, please hear this. Satan has a big target on Pastor or Brother Mike's back. Brother Scarpetti's back. If if Satan were to drop Brother Scarpetti, would you drop too? You know why most people quit church over a pastor falling? Because they had their eyes on the pastor, not the Lord. You know what? The best of men are men at best. I very well may fail you. Brother Mike Scarpetti might fail you. Pastor Mike, Miss Rachel might fail you. We don't know. We don't know tomorrow. Satan has his darts out. He's looking to drop me. He's looking to drop the leadership of this church. And if you have your eyes on one of us, you very well might fall when we fall. But if you put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and you make Him the reason why you've changed, then it doesn't matter what happens to us. While it will hurt, while it will disappoint, while you'll cry tears, you can continue on in your faith because, my friend, and Jesus is never going to fail you. That's why we're loyal to Christ, not to a man. You can love man, but you be loyal to Christ. Let her be loyal to his church. Loyal to his church. By the way, there's nothing wrong with these teenagers getting up and expressing how thankful they are for the humans that God has used to make an investment in them. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, the Bible says, withhold not honor from whom it is due. And so these people who have invested in these, pe- in, in these uh, teenagers' lives, they deserve to, to, to have honor past their direction. But all the credit goes to Jesus Christ. Loyal to his church. Ephesians 5.25, listen to the severity of this verse. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So if I'm going to be loyal to Christ then by my nature, I'm going to be loyal to his church. His church. If you sit my son down right here and you ask him what his favorite sports teams are, this might change in a few years, but at the moment, you ask him what his favorite sports teams are, they are his dad's favorite sports teams. You know why? 
Because He loves me and our heartbeats beat in sync on that topic. Because I'm passionate about those sports teams and He loves me. He's become passionate about those sports teams. You know, if you really are loyal to Christ, you're going to be passionate about what He's passionate about. How many believe that statement? Do you know that Christ is passionate about church? How passionate about church is He? He gave His life for it. He established it. Are you loyal to church the way Christ is? Do you love church the way Christ does? Or is church just a convenient thing you can try out from time to time? Are you totally giving in to church? The best thing you men can do is not just be loyal to Christ, but go beyond that and be loyal to His church. By all the way in, believe in the programs of the church, believe in the spirit of the church, believe in the soul winning efforts of the church, and advance the cause of Christ. Not through just your home, but through the church. You say, well, pastor, am I supposed to love my family more, or am I supposed to love church more? And the answer is yes. You can love your family through the church. My favorite thing to do, looking back on it as a child, was to sit next to my dad in a pew and watch him nod his head up and down as the preacher preached the Bible. Because I saw that God and church were important to him. And he put his hand on my knee and I'd see occasionally a tear go down his cheek as the Lord was moving in his heart. And I'd say, I love my God and the, I love my God and I love my dad and I love this church and all of these things would become to be mingled together. Uh, uh, some of the best things you can do is serve the Lord together as a family through the church. Oh, it will bind your hearts together. You can love your wife, you can love your children, and you can love the Lord, and you can love His church, and you can do it all at the same time. Letter C, loyal to His commandments. Now, I finish with this thought, loyal to His commandments. Turn over with me to Psalm 119. Let's finish with this, and I'll wrap it up. Wrap it up. This is the last point in the sermon. Psalm 119, look at verse number 97. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you love the Bible? Do you love the Bible? Does your schedule dictate that you love the Bible? These children got up here this morning and sang, and boy, how precious. They held that Bible up and they waved it in the air while they sang that chorus of that song about loving the Bible. And it, it, it literally brought tears into my eyes. I didn't quite, you know, I wasn't boo-hooing, but my eyes were getting a little misty up, up here as I watched our children wave that Bible in the air and passionately sing about their love for God. But does your schedule dictate that you love the Bible? Do you, do you spend time in it? Do you meditate on it? Look at Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how, uh, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I love your law so much, I think about it, meditate on it all day. Look at verse 113. 113, the same chapter. I hate empty or vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Hey, when I'm not thinking about the Bible, I label all of those thoughts as vain, and I hate them. But I sure love thinking about your law. Look at verse 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. And then maybe the verse that is uh, quoted the most out of this chapter, one of the verses quoted the most, look at uh, two verses down at 165. And usually the emphasis is put on the second half of the verse. Let's put the emphasis on the first half. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they which love thy law. Men, we've got to stand up. We've got to lead. 
We've got to love. We've got to be loyal to Christ. First and foremost. You say, but pastor, that means that my wife might feel betrayed by me. Some of you here, your, your, your wives aren't quite on that page yet. You say, well, what do I do? If you'll learn to love God first, then that love will flow deeper and fuller and thicker on your wife. Will flow deeper and thicker and richer on your children. And all of those that God has called you to lead. And I ask this question tonight. Men, it's time to stop getting pushed around by society and what's convenient. And it's time to start living our life by principle. It's time to stand up and do what God created us to do and lead. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and eyes closed.